0: Welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Hi there, my name is Jeff Brody and I'm the lead pastor at Connexus Church and I'm a huge fan of The Well and of VJ and Jen and their family. I mean, you have such incredible leadership there and I'm excited to be with you for a three-part series called The Road to Imperfection. Now, if you don't call yourself a Christian, you likely have an idea in your mind of what you think one looks like. On one hand, you might have an image of someone who says one thing and does another. They don't seem loving, but they do seem hypocritical. Now, on the other hand, you may see a Christian as a keeper of the rules, someone who's all about obeying a list of rules because of their faith. Maybe it's someone who's judgmental and bent on telling you just how wrong or how bad you are. Either way, it doesn't seem that attractive to you, and honestly, it doesn't seem that attractive to me either. You know, as Christians, we believe that there's a gap in the world, a gap between the real and the ideal. I think we all recognize that things in the world aren't how they should be. Wars, genocide, fraud, deception, online trolls. I mean, the list could go on and on. Take one look at your social media feed and you know exactly what I mean. Our world just isn't always how it was meant to be. You also probably see the same gap between the real and the ideal, if you're honest, inside you. Well, you want to treat the people around you with love and make a difference in the world and make wise decisions. You and I don't always do that. No matter how hard you try, you sometimes hurt people or you make poor decisions or you sometimes choose to be dishonest. There's a gap inside you between the real and the ideal. And no matter how hard you try, you just can't close it. Scripture calls that gap sin. It's actually what separates us from God. However, we believe that Jesus lived the perfect life, the ideal He then died on a cross for our sin to close that gap. And when you believe in him as a son of God, you can be made right with God, justified. We can have a relationship with him. The Bible actually uses the picture of being adopted by God as a son or a daughter. And as Christians, we think it's the greatest decision that you can make. But here's where your images of unappealing Christians Come from. Even those of us who take our faith seriously, we aren't perfect. We're a mess. I'm a mess too. In fact, a lot of Christians aren't sure what they should be doing or how they should live after they decide to follow Jesus. It's a mystery to them. They wonder is the goal to follow the rules? Is it to try to be perfect? Or are we just in some kind of holding pattern on earth until we end up in heaven? And if so, then why doesn't God just beam us up there right now? Why does God leave us here on earth? What's the goal of life here on earth as a Christian? Is it just about doing good things and following the rules and trying to be perfect? The answer might surprise you. The Apostle Paul wrote about this question often and he shared a number of ideas. In Philippians 1, he says, And I am certain that God, who began a good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul says, and the Lord who is the spirit makes us more and more like him as we're changed into his glorious image. And in Philippians 2, Paul says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. What are all these and many others of Paul's writings pointing us to? God's desire for us is to make us more like Jesus. Like a loving parent, when a child becomes a part of your family, you love them no matter what. But at the same time, you want to see them grow in who they are. God wants to see your soul transformed. He wants to bring you eternal meaning to your life right here on earth. Does God want you to be with him in heaven one day, in eternity? Absolutely. But God's ultimate desire for you isn't a destination. It's transformation. He wants to change you to become more like Jesus every day. Now, here's what's interesting. We're all looking for this type of transformation. Even if you don't call yourself a Christian, I know that like me, you want to close that gap between the real you and the ideal you. You may not call it wanting to become like Jesus, but you term it other things like becoming a better version of yourself or you do you or maximizing your potential. I mean, I only have to look at the giant self-help section on Amazon or some of the most watched TED Talks to know that we all understand that we should be better. But what if there's a God who says, bring me your gap, your brokenness, bring me your past. And not only will I take your life and make it perfect in my eyes, but I will take you on a journey of transformation that will make you more and more like Jesus, who was so incredible that he was willing to die on a cross to close that gap of sin out of his love for you. Who wouldn't want that? I mean, theologians call this process sanctification. Now, what does the word sanctification mean? Theologian Jerry Bridges is famous for his books on Christian life. And he said this. He said, Sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit in us, whereby our inner being is progressively changed, freeing us more and more from sinful traits and developing within us over time the virtues of Christ-like character. What Jerry Bridges is pointing out is this. When you first surrender your life to Jesus, you are forgiven, you are loved, you are accepted by God. No matter what, he sees you as his perfect child. At the same time, sanctification means he loves you so much that he continues to make you perfect. Over time, his desire is to transform you to become more and more and more like Jesus. You are both perfect and being made perfect at the very same time. So what would that even look like in your life? It's about taking a different path, a different road in your heart and in your mind. I'll never forget when my wife Leslie and I moved from our first apartment to owning our very first home. Now, our apartment was a dream the day we got it. It was three quarters of a house with a finished basement. It had beautiful floors and a loft bedroom. And best of all, it fit our little budget. But... In our first spring, we learned something about that apartment. While it may have looked great for months, it had a problem underground. See, a couple of times in the spring, the basement, get this, would fill up with an inch of raw sewage. I mean, you can't imagine our excitement when we bought our first house. It took a lot of saving and sacrifice, but it was ours. And unlike that apartment... It was sewage-free. And after we moved to our new house, a funny thing happened. After work, i jump in my car, and without realizing it, I'd automatically drive to the old, stinky apartment. I mean, even weeks later, i catch myself turning left towards my old home instead of right towards the new one. It was an old pattern that I had to break and make new. Now, sanctification, it's a lot like that. When you choose to follow Jesus, you trade your old way of living for a brand new home in him. You now live in him. You are adopted, as he says, into his family. However, you still have old patterns, old habits, baggage, sin, and God wants to work on those things. The goal is transformation. To be made new every single day. Now, really, we all long for that kind of transformation in our lives. You don't have to look much further than the last time you dropped the ball, or lost it on your kids, or hurt your friend, or cheated on someone to know that this is true. That's what this series is about sanctification, how God wants to transform you over time to make you look more like Jesus, to be seen as perfect while being made perfect at the very same time. Now, there are a number of ways that God does this, but through this series, we're going to look at three of them. Now, I want you to buckle up because transformation is amazing, but if I'm honest... It's also going to be challenging for you. I believe that God has some tough yet rewarding stuff for you in this series. And in the coming weeks, we're going to look at how to move from being powerless to powerful and how to move from being driven by your feelings to being driven by your faith. And today we're going to look at how to exchange idols for your identity in Jesus. Idols is a funny word. When we hear it, we often think of little wooden or gold statues or images of animals, something out of The Mummy or National Treasure or Indiana Jones. Or maybe we know someone that has an idol in their home or in their workplace. But scripture talks about idols in a different kind of way as well. And when you apply it, it will change how you see so much of the world around you. Check this out in Exodus, a book of the Bible found in the Old Testament. We read the historical account of a set of instructions that God gave Moses, the guy who was leading God's people at the time. Now, Moses goes up to a mountain and God gives him the the Ten Commandments for the Israelite people. Now, you've probably heard of those. Now, what's interesting is that the first commandment is prioritized as the most important. Why? Because every command flows out of this one. You must not have any other God but me. It says, you must not make to yourself any idol or any kind of image of anything in heavens or in the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. To to summarize, God's warning to us is to make sure that we don't begin to worship the gifts ahead of the giver. When we do, our lives start to get out of whack because we aren't living how we're meant to live. Now, what's an idol in our day? An idol is anything that we put before God in our lives. It's the number one focus of your heart. If you don't believe in God yet, well, your idol or personal God is whatever you prioritize first. We all have people or things that rise to the top of our list in our mind or in our hearts. And your idol is something that you feel that you cannot live without. Think about that. What do you feel like you can't live without? Even if you don't believe in God, it's not surprising that you and I make things or people or ideas the number one focus of our hearts. Scripture points out that as a human being, you're designed to worship. We all worship something or someone. Now, the theologian John Calvin, he once says that the human heart is an idol factory, that we're continuing to make idols, things that we prioritize as number one in our lives in that moment. Nietzsche once said, there are more idols in the world than there are actual realities. Now, no matter where you're coming from today, here's why this is really important. While most of the things in our lives aren't bad in themselves, they make terrible gods. Yet we do it with them all the time. I mean, work is a good thing. We're designed to work and contribute and make a difference. But when your work becomes a greater priority than your family or your faith, it's harmful. Work is a good thing, but it's a terrible God. Well, a glass of wine at a dinner party isn't necessarily bad. When it becomes a regular thing and slides across the line into escapism and numbing yourself and you start to lose control, and it starts to gain control, alcohol makes a terrible God. You love your hobby, but when you get obsessed with it, it starts to take up all your time, your daydreaming, your mental energy, and eventually it becomes the priority, and faith, and family, and your job start to fall behind. A great hobby is a good distraction, but it's a terrible God. How about this one? As a parent, you love your kids, and you should. But when you prioritize them over the God who gave you those kids, when they become the center of your life, it becomes unhealthy. In fact, in the long run, it pushes them away from you and from faith. Kids are an incredible gift, but they aren't the giver. They make a terrible God. Jim Keller and others have thought more deeply and written more eloquently about the idolatry that plagues our hearts. And they've identified four common idols beneath the surface. Idols at the root of your destructive behavior. And I'm going to share these with you. And some of you are going to see yourself in one out out of four. And some of you are going to see yourself in three out of four. And some of you are going to see yourself in Four out of four. As I share them, remember that the goal here is transformation. The more we identify these idols in our hearts, the more we can uproot the idols and find deeper meaning in our lives as we become sanctified, made more like Jesus. The first one is the idol of comfort your desire for comfort or pleasure above all things. Now, if your idol is comfort, you like to escape. In fact, stress and demands often feel like your worst enemy. You prefer Netflix, partying, weekends away with your family or from your family, or lots of time spent on your hobby. You don't like being bored, but you don't like the pressure life can bring. And you choose to do these things, not to relax in a healthy way, but to actually Escape. Now there's a cost to all of this. What do you give up? What you give up? Productivity. In fact, your lack of action when you're idle is comfort can hurt you in the long run or hurt the people in your life. Debt, gaming, pornography, gambling, a lack of exercise, just an overall lack of forward motion around anything but the bare minimum. And over time, you move to minimal engagement with your spouse or with your kids or other important relationships in your family. The idol of comfort, it's selfish. So much can suffer when your idol is comfort. The second idol is the idol of control. And with the idol of control, you desire to have everything go according to your plan. And why? Because you can't handle uncertainty. You might describe yourself as a perfectionist or as hyper-organized, but it's born out of a need that you have for control. You just can't help but have to know or have to dictate exactly what's happening. Now, the hardest part is that over time, control often means you end up doing it all yourself. So you often end up feeling alone. And over time, some of the people around you just defer to you. And if they're honest, it's just because it's easier. But when they defer, they disengage from you. And you know what? I know that you feel it. Then you start to lack spontaneity in your life and at your worst, you struggle with anxiety on the inside and the people around you end up feeling judged or offended by you. They just can't seem to please you. Now, the third idol is the idol of approval. You desire to be accepted and desired by other people. You want to be liked and you want people to look up to you. You hate rejection. In fact, your insatiable desire to be liked and your fear of rejection can cause you to develop a soft spine that changes depending on who you're talking to, who you're trying to please, who you're trying to gain approval from. And over time, you erode your character trying to win over everyone. And you often feel like you've given up a part of yourself to please people, and you feel like you're losing yourself in this sea of making people happy. And eventually, that desperation to please can actually smother the people around you. Now, the last is the idol of power. That's idol number four. You desire influence and recognition. You fear not mattering. And you fear humiliation. On one hand, you have this drive and burden to take responsibility, to be the one in charge. But when you get unhealthy, it's as much the fear of humiliation that drives you more than the desire to serve. All of this can result in frustration and a struggle with anger towards those around you. In fact, you can use fear of your anger as a motivator for those around you and you don't even notice it. The people around you can feel like they're being used as a means to an end or worse, manipulated. So now you've found yourself in one, two, or three of these camps. You're starting to think, Jeff, I thought this was a journey of transformation. This feels more like a journey of condemnation. Help me out here. How do I grow? How do I root out my idols? I mean, I'm only human you start by recognizing them and you've already made that step today and here's why that's important you see idols pacify they don't fulfill they make you feel good until they don't here's the good news At the heart of the gospel is the solution to each idol, a chance for you to move from being temporarily pacified to being fulfilled eternally, to move from striving moment to moment to living with deep meaning. So, how do you do that? You exchange your idol for your identity as a child of God. So, if comfort is your idol, You need to focus on the peace of Christ. He died for you and rose again so that you might discover his peace personally. You don't need to escape from stress or demands. You can walk right through them the more you ask for and understand his peace. When you walk through that stress instead of escaping, your heavenly father is walking with you. If control is your idol, You need to focus on the blessing of God. You need to remember that he wants what's best for you, that he extends grace in the midst of your imperfection. You need to take stock of the ways that he's already blessing you. If your idol is approval, you need to focus on God's love. That when you choose to follow Christ, you're fully known and fully loved by the God of the universe. His love for you knows no bounds and it's given to you freely. You don't need to earn it. Christ earned it on the cross. It's his gift to you and his love is unending. Now, if your idol is power. You need to focus on the righteousness you have in Christ. You're already made right through Christ's death on the cross. More responsibility and influence don't make you more righteous. And humiliation doesn't make you less righteous. God sees you as perfect and made right in Christ. Let me tell you why there's urgency to this for you. When you try to pacify your need for meaning and transformation with people and things, you put pressure on them that they weren't meant to bear. Kids or a spouse aren't meant to handle the pressure of being the center of your universe and fulfilling you. If you're looking for a future spouse, it's good that you're hearing this ahead of time. When you put that kind of pressure on them, you eventually crush them and you push them away. Your family isn't designed to be your God. Your job or your coworkers they weren't meant to handle the pressure of fulfilling the emptiness of your soul either. And when you put that kind of pressure on your job, You put it on others or yourself and eventually you realize that that kind of life is not sustainable and it crushes you and it even crushes those around you. Well, they can pacify your need to worship something or someone for a moment. No possession, no position, no person, including yourself, was meant to be worshipped or to fulfill you. That spot is reserved for the God of the universe who sent his son to live a perfect life and die so that you could become perfect in him and be made perfect into his image as you are transformed right here on earth. So I want to finish here and ask two questions. First of all, if you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus yet, I'm so glad you're with us. But aren't you tired of trying to close the gap between how you really are and how you know you should be or how you know you want to be? It gets heavy over time. I mean, I felt it. Wouldn't, wouldn't you like to let go of that weight of guilt and shame and sin, that gap, and leave it all at the cross? To be adopted into the family of God and asking him what's best for you and letting him transform you to experience his love and his grace and his forgiveness. The void that you are trying to fill with what can only be filled by a who? If that's you, this is your moment to stand up, maybe even right where you are right now, to mark the moment and say, God, I'm done trying to do this on my own. I surrender my life to you and ask for your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, for closing the gap between us. Well, secondly, for those who've chosen to follow Jesus, no matter for how long, Let's focus on becoming more like him. And let's start today by surrendering our idols. Maybe it's one out of four, like we talked about today, or maybe it's three out of four idols or four out of four. But let's stop carrying them and let's surrender them and replace them with the truth of who you are in Jesus. Choose his peace, choose his love. Choose to remember he's blessed you and he's made you righteous. Exchange your idols for your identity in Christ. Let me pray. God, we come to you today. And we bring our idols to you. And we surrender them to you and say, God, we want to put you first and foremost in our lives. And we want the identification of these idols today to be an opportunity for you to transform and change us, that you see us as perfect. And then we want you to use these as an opportunity to make us perfect, to transform us, to sanctify us. God, we come to you and surrender our one, two, three, or four idols today and say, change our hearts and change our minds. And God, I want to pray with those who today for the very first time who are saying, I'm tired of the gap between the real and the ideal. I want that gap closed. I want a relationship with God because of Jesus. I I want to know what it is to begin a relationship with him. I want to surrender my life to him. I want to pray with those who are praying that even today. That you would meet them where they are. That you would let them know in a tangible way that they are being changed, that they are being adopted into your family, that you see them as perfect and are excited to take them on the journey of a lifetime into eternity of making them look more like Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen.